Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Get the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Hey, race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to the Drafting the Circuits program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about this past weekend in racing and what a weekend it was. Now, joining me in the studio, Luis Torres, just the two of us right now. Richard may or may not join us later. We're, uh, we're waiting to hear from him, but, uh, but uh, Luis and I will keep you updated. Luis, how are you, buddy? Doing pretty good. My right shoulder is pretty sore, but hanging in there. All right. So, uh, so you spent your your weekend uh, watching some Supercross, uh, which we could talk about a little bit. It's it's a little off topic for us, but it's certainly uh, something that's uh, that's it's fun to watch and fun to talk about. But uh, we did have a couple of really good races on Sunday uh, between the Formula One race and the NASCAR race. Uh, I thought it was very enjoyable, and I. I Certainly thought that, uh, you know, when I opened up my newsfeed the next morning, that that's all anybody would have to talk about was how great those races are. But evidently, there's some flat between a couple of actors at an awards thing is dominating all the news headlines. So uh, so folks, don't fear. Louise and I are here to fill you in about what happened at the racetrack. So, yeah, this is so this is true. Yeah. What happened with what happened? I kind of, I can, we can talk about the Oscars, the snubbing, like whether it's Lady Gaga or Alana Hine, but that's a whole different story. Let's talk about drama in the racetrack with Formula One. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about the Grand Prix in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. The, the second time we're there in just a couple of months, we ended the season there last year. And here we are, second race in, we're back. Um, now, I think, after the first two races of this year, all the folks that like to parrot that phrase that Formula One is boring and follow the leader and nothing happens and those sort of things that we've heard for the last several years, I think it's time for them to take another look at uh, what's happening in Formula One this day and age. Because not only was uh, there a lot of great battles all of uh, 2021, but uh, 2022 is shaping up to be um, a really good uh, season with some, you know, some different players in the mix there, uh, guys you expect at the front struggling. Um, but uh, the weekend started out with, of all things, a missile strike within like six kilometers of the track or, or 12 miles from the track. Uh, now, this 
uh, I guess there was an oil refinery that uh, was hit with the missile from what, what my understanding is. But uh, yeah, very scary situation. Um, and I'm personally surprised that they didn't just pack their gear and leave at that point. But uh, they were prompted to uh, sit through several hours of closed door meetings, uh, you know, with drivers and team owners and um, Saudi government officials who uh, somehow gave them assurances that uh, that they would be safe. I don't know how you give assurances that, uh, that your enemies or rebels won't bomb you, but whatever they did, they they ended up running the race, which honestly surprised me. But I I, 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 you know, I guess if you think about it, right, if, if you're living in the Middle East, right, you, you pretty much lived in a war zone your whole life. So maybe you're desensitized to that. You know, oh, well, it's just one missile, you know, just like just like folks in California, you know, when there's a minor earthquake, I say, oh, it's just a just a two point six. Ah, so uh, but then they ended up wildfire <laughs> the, or these days or a wildfire. Yeah, yeah. So but we ended up having the race and who was on the pole? Sergio Perez. Sergio was... Perez. Yep. Yep. His first poll. So there's a there's a name you don't hear at the top of qualifying. No, we haven't seen one ever from Mexico. Not one of the Rodriguez had done. Not even Hector Rebeck when he was with Bradham did it. So it was honestly a long time coming. When I was at Lumen Field, I prefer to call it Century Link Field because I want to remind myself of the good old days of Seattle football. But but yeah, when I found out Paris got pole, I was honestly astonished because I saw qualifying was not going to resume because of Mick Schumacher's horrific qualifying record. That was second time he has had a heavy lick, or the third he's had a heavy lick at that circuit. It's kind of not been kind to Mick, and because of Mick, the incident and how bad it was, they had to withdraw the entry because of the rule that they have is like, because some people say, well, why not Piertros in the car? Well, he didn't practice at all, so he couldn't do it by the rule book. But for Paris, it was when entering the race, it's like, now this is the opportunity for Paris to win one on merit, pure pace on his own terms, not seeing falling on in his lap like uh, the secure Grand Prix or Abu, I mean, not Abu Dhabi, Baku a year ago. So I was curious to see that. And it looked like for a while, things were looking great. Paris was pulling away and then they bring it on the pit road. And then, you know, that old number six of, Nicholas Latifi had a blunder in the final corner, hit the wall, brought out the safety car, and derailed Paris's night completely. He finished fourth, but it was one of those one might have been races for Paris again. Yeah, I know. It's like if it wasn't for the bad luck, wouldn't be any luck at all. But I mean, fourth place at the end of the day is is respectable, you know, and also good way to support the. Uh, the Red Bull effort to win a constructors championship. So for sure, out. especially they had no points going to the, going into the race because it was a double retirement. Albeit Paris is classified because of the ninety percent rule. Right, right. So, but from that point on, uh, Charles Leclerc took uh, took charge of the race. Did he not? Yeah, it became Leclerc versus Stappen for the, the rest of the race. For and they put on an absolute bar burner. It was one of those things that we saw back in twenty nineteen when. As Silverstone, when Leclerc and Verstappen were battling real hard until I think it was Giovinazzi put it in the gravel and then Hamilton went out to win Silverstone. But it's been a long time coming. And I think it's kind of like we've been waiting for this moment for these two to not just for wins, but for a world championship, which looks like 
it's gonna they're the early favorites for Stappen and Leclerc. They were giving it their all like for Stappen, even with the like the helmet visor wrap that you t- the tear off got stuck in the in one of the antennas antennas below the halo. And he was still charging at all. And when Leclerc they they almost could have made contact, but they had to break they had to lock up the brakes real hard in the fire horse to assure none of them tangled because we saw what happened last year with Hamilton Verstappen. They were not giving an inch and they would get into one another. So far it's been pretty calm. And sometimes you want that. You want a calm, tight, intense battle. Yeah, particularly this this early in the season. You know, we're yeah. just we're just kind of feeling out the new cars and, and and feeling out the new competition. And uh yeah, and, and Ferrari for the first time in a couple of years has a car that's proven to be both fast and reliable. Uh here we are, here's the uh, you know, two races in. Leclerc has a first and a second, which makes him the early points leader. Um, so uh, a great way to start the year. I mean, uh, you know, no retirement so far on them, no major mechanical issues uh, in practice or qualifying, you know, like we've seen Ferrari struggled the last couple of years with seemingly a little bit of everything here and there, but it looks like Ferrari really has their acts together this year. Uh, their hard off season work has paid off with this 2022 car. No, totally for sure. And at the end Verstappen was just able to fend off Leclerc. He was able to, Albeit while leading uh, the, over the radio said how Leclerc was catching him. It was so unfair. It's like, and in my mind, it's like, should you be focusing on holding off Leclerc than thinking, how is the Warriors he's catching so unfair? It's like, oh, please, come on. With one lap to go, just hold, try to do your best and hold him off. It's not going to be like a super speed where you can catch an, an amazing draft and get by him that easy. It's just like, I get it. Racers are racers. I, I get that. But it's like when you hear that, it's like, come on, man, you're you, you're worried. But that put that also implies that already there's pressure. You're the defending world champion. You're going into to Jetta, no points. And then you want to get as many points as possible and catch up because. Yeah. You right know, any, now, any, anytime I hear a driver say every time I hear a driver say, well, it's not fair. It just it sounds like a five year old, you know. You know, so it's not it's like, fair. <laughs> but it uh, happened. It happens to everyone. I mean, sure. Look, yeah. Look, look at the championship race last year with Hamilton with the whole manipulation stuff. It's like, yeah, you're in the heat of the moment and all that. But definitely a big up for Red Bull for to get a first and a fourth to help their cause to get back where they need to be going into Melbourne next week. But when you look down the order, Magnuson, Haas, once again, albeit Schumacher didn't run. Before the incident, he looked like he might have had a shot at Q3. But we'll never know how he would have fared in the race. But Magnuson, for the most part, he put a lot of pressure on Lewis Hamilton all race long. For the mo- to the point that even Hamilton finished 10th, Russell, I think he got a fifth or a sixth. But even to the point where you're not too used to being in the bottom of the points, you have you ask yourself, wait, does 10th get points, which they have since 2010? Yeah, that was that was probably the funniest comment coming out of the weekend. Lewis Hamilton, do you even get points for that? Because he's so not used to finishing off of the podium. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's like it's, it's all except for like the first three years has been top 10 points. First three years were top eight. If it was like 25, 20 yeah, 20 years ago, no, 25 years ago, more realistic, 
it's only the top six. The top six, yeah. Yeah, there's only six points for a win way back in the day. So, but yeah, I just thought that was funny that Hamilton had to ask if the 10th place pays any points. So, but yeah, but it, it's really changed the dynamic here. You know, uh, Mercedes is definitely struggling. And not just Mercedes factory team, but it seems as if the other uh, cars on the grid, say Williams and McLaren, that also have uh, Mercedes power, are not faring as well as uh, some of their counterparts. So I, I I don't, you know, I don't know if this is an engine thing or if it's just different things related to the different cars. Um, because I feel like the, you know, the Mercedes powertrain is, uh, is up there. I just, it seemed like it's more aerodynamics and uh, things like that that's hampering them. So we'll have to see how that plays out or, or when they're able to make some updates. But yeah, really interesting to see the dynamic change that we have Ferrari versus um, Red Bull, you know, rather than Mercedes versus Red Bull. And even, I think it was Christian Horner who said, it just, it just feels weird that, that the rival is Ferrari. He says, because the animo- animosity doesn't exist like it exists between them and Mercedes, you know? <laughs> so, but yeah, definitely. Um, Changing face of Formula One and all you people that keep telling me how boring Formula One is and how nothing happens, you need to tune in. I'm telling you, you're missing out on some great stuff. Indeed, but I can understand some feeling the way they are outside of the race of what we talked about earlier, that it's just weird that this race just naturally happened. Unfortunately, we're going to Melbourne. It should be calm, and it's going to be kind of a full circle for F1 because when they get there, at the site where the madness really began, we're going to actually have a Grand Prix for once. Yes, 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 we will. So, but uh, in other Formula One news, so we're told, I I guess tentatively, that uh, a race in Vegas in either 2024 or 2023 is, is... a definite to go now. Um, you know, I don't, I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm the, I believe it when I see it, but I said that about Miami and I never th- would have thought they got the Miami thing off the ground, but uh, that thing is all set to go and that will happen this year. Um, I mean, Formula One has been in Vegas before. Uh, if you recall the uh, Caesars Palace parking lot race, um, which was, uh, if you recall what the circuit looked like, it looked like a comb. I mean, it was, you know, it, it, <laughs> it had a lot of turns and it was totally flat. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it was, it is more like watching something you'd see that they set up for, uh, like, like an autocross at the mall, you know, uh, just the way that track was. So this is what we're looking at here. And then the, the preliminary look at the, the, the track layout for, for this iteration of Vegas is kind of equally plain. It's just, it looks like a big trapezoid, you know, it's, there's, there are a lot of 90 degree turns, you know, there's not, not a lot of elevation change. There's, um, you know, very few flowing corners. So, uh, you know, but I, I guess it's all about the, um, you know, the, the glitz and the glam of Vegas, you know, and uh, not so much because, I mean, when you look at Coda, Coda is what a Formula One racetrack should be, right? Yeah. But but Austin, Texas did not possess the glitz and the glam of, say, a Miami 
or Las Vegas. And I think that, uh, you know, Formula One wants to showcase itself in those major markets. Um, it's split it up. Yeah. So three, yeah. like your West, your mid, and then your East. Right. Yeah. That, they've done before in the past when yeah, they had back, three you know, U.S. races. We had three two. U.S. races in, uh, I think we had as many as four. We had three in 82 for sure. Cause there were, cause there was Long Beach, Vegas, and Detroit. Um, but the biggest thing yeah. for me when I look at it, I understand you want F1 in the U.S. is booming. We get it. I totally understand that. But we want to talk about Grand Prix races, and it's, it's gotten to the point that it's, we're pushing over saturation of number of Grand Prix races to the point that people are like, the future's like, say, what, by 2030, they want, what, 30 races? It's like you're traveling around the world for 30 races. And for NASCAR, it works in the sense because they're in one territory. That is North America, or in this case, the U.S. When you go travel, it's, I don't, I, whether you're a racer or a mechanic, or even when you go to musician, 30 weeks, 30 weeks in multiple parts of the country, some of them a couple times a year, it's asking a lot because you've got to import, export items. It's very difficult to do. It's a grind to the point that. Oh, especially on these, these flyaway races, you know, where we're going all the way to the Middle East or, you know, or down under, uh, you know, or, or, into places like russia and china and you know and it's uh, you're packing up the cars on planes and it's yeah for most expensive to begin with and i personally i think the season as it is is a bit long you know it goes all it goes all the way into you know nearly christmas time (laughs) well fortunately it's not going to be pushing christmas because nothing at the moment is being postponed we drop we drop one free which alleviates the pain but when you really think about it 23 but if you're looking at right 24 25 in the future you're just asking a whole lot for it really is it really is yeah it's I mean, one I, th- like with musicians it's one thing because you're traveling kind of almost non-stop daily but you don't necessarily put a lot of pressure to your body with the g-force all that like compares or mechanics that have to spend countless of hours just prepping a car staying in top shape and acclimating with the weather left and right. And the and the jet lag. You know, you, cause you, you're crossing several time zones, you know, for some of these races then and then crossing back, you know. So it's yeah, it's it's a grind. But I yeah, honestly, when I when I was growing up first watching Formula One, I think they were right around 16 or 17 races a season. And that always just seemed fine to me. You know, when, when we pushed it to, you know, 18, 19, I, I was fine with that. But I, I feel like, yeah, if we're pushing into 25 and 30, you know, because I always thought the NASCAR season was way too long, um, way too many races. But, I, you know, we'll see. Uh, there's only so much that the market can sustain in, in as far as continue to make money. But the fact that, uh, you know, Formula One is generally, you know, one Grand Prix per country. Um, you know, with the exception of the United States here, who we're looking to have three, uh, although the United States I does, mean, it is Italy a, a much larger, has two. Italy technically has two, but yeah, the U S is a much larger landmass than, um, some of the European countries. So, uh, yeah, we'll just have to see how it plays out. But the Vegas thing again, I, I didn't think they'd pull off Miami, but evidently they did. And I was still remembering the lessons of the, you know, the Grand Prix of New Jersey that was all, 
greenlit and ready to go. And that thing just fell apart. Um, obviously, anybody that's tried to put a, uh, a race up in the New York area has had a really tough time. You know, um, NASCAR is still sitting on a big plot of land they bought in Staten Island uh, to put a racetrack on years ago. Now they can't do anything with it. Uh, just because, you know, the, the, you get a city like New York, uh, there's a lot of political red tape and and those sort of things to cut through. And then there's also your your red tape sort of things that uh, are not necessarily governmental, but they are part of the the culture of, of, of what you need to do to do business in New York. Um, and you can read between the lines and know what I'm talking about there, but, uh, yeah, that exists in Vegas too. So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, we'll just have to kind of see how it plays out with Vegas. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not really impressed with the, the layout, um, Vegas as a city, I think of a nice, it, it, I think of it as a nice tourist destination, but, uh, you know, to their credit, they've been fairly successful landing major sports franchises in the last couple of years. You know, they picked up the, the hockey team and now they've got them an NFL team. So uh, they're trying to make themselves a sports town. So well, we'll just have a see what happens. Yeah. It took them long enough. I was just curious how long that this fad is going to be, because I feel like it could be, but we'll see right now. Things are looking good for the Raiders. That's as much as I'm going to say about that to the word they might be contenders, but that's, and that is key. If when they win, people will show up. It's kind of like with L.A. They only care if they win. If they don't win, they don't they don't show up. And that's my biggest discrepancy when it comes to these sporting league sanctioning events going down there and become a franchise. And that's been always my biggest concern. So it's more like we'll see in five to ten years. But as far as F1, it's good. To, they'll hit the West Coast region, whether or not. Oh, be interested in covering that? That is beyond my wildest dream at the moment. But yeah, at the, end of the, the day, interesting, the interesting about thing about the interesting thing about Vegas with the sports teams is, is you know, they can almost sell it like they sell, uh, you know, vacations to Vegas. You know, where they they you know you get to book this room and this, and you get a couple tickets to to the show. You know, who's ever in residency or you know whatever show was there. Vegas is famous for its shows, but just, you know, oh, then you get tickets to a, the Raiders game. You know what I mean? Because they can really, they, they can keep the place full without necessarily season long ticket holders um, by, you know, making it a, uh, a, a tourist event. I don't know. It's just, um, that, that's off topic of racing. So, but yeah. uh, just a, a thought that popped into my mind when we think about how things operate in Las Vegas. So, but yeah, All right. Let's talk about Coda briefly. Let's jump into Coda. Let's jump into Coda again. The track, not the movie. Not the movie, right. They sound the same, but we're talking about Coda with a T. Coda with a T. The Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, one of the most beautiful racetracks in the United States, uh, where they will be holding their Formula One race in November. Uh, but uh, this weekend, it was uh, NASCAR, all three series running. Uh, the debut of the next-gen NASCAR car on a road course. And again, this car was designed with a lot of, uh, a lot of detail uh, where road courses were kind of in the design of the car. Um, you know, you know, prior, you know, prior versions of NASCAR cars are primarily built for ovals where they have to modify them for road courses. But this, you know, this one is built, put together more like a sports car uh, that would, you know, be suited just fine on a road course. And from what I noticed, 
uh, I thought the cars handled a heck of a lot better through the road course um, than the previous versions of uh, NASCAR cars. We didn't have this wheel hopping and, and, you know, cars getting up in the air and running on three wheels around the corners uh, that we've seen at uh, some of the, yes, like some of the stuff we saw at Indianapolis last year and some of the things we've seen on Charlotte Roval. Uh, but, but I thought the cars themselves handled quite well around Coda. Again, just like any other series that, that, that has run at Coda, they have a tough time with the so-called track limits. Uh, but that's that's just the design of the layout of that course. You know, there's too much temptation to take that line that's not necessarily on the track because it's still nice and smooth to drive on. But uh, we've been talking about track house racing and we've been talking about Ross Chastain for a couple of weeks and what a great season he's had. He's been having and here he is taking his first win. Uh, and mind you, it wasn't a gimme. He had to, he lost it and had to had to take it back by force. Yeah, it was last. Some people I know, Richard, if would disagree and wholeheartedly, he has his viewpoints when it comes to that whole last lap chicanery. It's a mixture of last lap anything goes. It's like if you hit me, I'll hit you back type of deal between him, Almondinger, and even Alex Bowman was coming into the mix. That to use the chrome horn, which I, I it's become a it's become normalized and much to the chagrin of many of the competitors. I mean, let's go back to when they ran in most where we're all but one of them were just chrome horn bumping out of the way or sometimes wreck. It just got pinned and it looked like Almerdinger had a shot of winning and then it, it got just collided and went from the lead to 33rd. Because this track is big enough to where it's very, very hard to fall a lap down unless you have reliability problems you have to pit. Very difficult. So one bad error or one incident, you're done for. Look at Daniel. I looked at Daniel Suarez. Had a great showing. He was leading. He won stage one. Then he had, then he pitted, and then boom, never recovered. Austin Cindrix got turned around multiple times, got to the top ten, but never really got back in front. So it was a game of stay in front, don't get hit. Right, and uh, and we saw Chase Elliott have some good runs too that were ruined by, you know, some faulty or slow pit work. Oh yeah, that's become a common problem. He was able to stay out of trouble and get in and finish quite well, but it's stuff like that you just cannot do. I get it. If it has to do with the single lug nut that stops, I can understand it. But this has become a common problem with that nine team a lot. They, they just got to get it together under piss. Yeah, see, I thought, and I thought, I thought Blaney was a, I thought Blaney was a guy that had the crappiest pit stops. But Chase Elliott's fighting for that crown. I don't know if there's an end of year award for that. But no, <laughs> you know, I both those guys. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I want to say both those guys have had uh, just trying. I often think about you know, especially with the Blaney situation, how you know they always talk about. Penske perfect, you know, and, and Penske's well known for their fine, fine pit stops across all the racing series, except for Blaney's team. And I wonder if he's just, you know, just the, the last of the, the, the very last guys on the, the pit crew tier that he gets, he, he gets the leftovers. I don't know. It's just something funny know, to talk it, about, but uh, yeah. You think it'd be the two team, but obviously that, that's not the case. If there was any other driver problem, I don't know disregard what I say. But like I mentioned, like look at Rusty Wallace in 04. 
by that point, they were one of the top crews, but they had many slow stops. They had to make change. We're starting to get to that point that maybe they may need to do some changes on the, who does their pit stops. So where maybe they'll get it together or put them in an ultimatum. They need to get it together because this cannot be happening to that 19th. It's been happening way too many times. Didn't we have a, uh, a rule going effect this year where there's, uh, I believe, one less one less person on the on the pit stop? I or was think that, so. Or did that go in effect last year? I think it might have been last year, or the year before. I could, I it's been it's been a while since I've heard about it. But going back to that single lug rule, well, a couple people are going to the house, including Booty Barker, crew chief for Bubble Walls, because he lost the wheel. And, and that's like what the third or fourth suspension related to it. The others being like Casparella and Justin Haley and Daytona 500. And that, that's just got to show you that it's still a work of right. I think that's the one thing that needs to be improved more, but they're just not fully acclimated either, unless they get crew members that worked in IMSA and IndyCar in the past or supercars to where that's what they're hired for. They know how to do it quick and efficient. But for those that have been there for a while, it's just been a tough acclimation that we've seen tire failures. Yeah, and I really kind of it should it like it shouldn't be that hard to to switch from a five lug nut tire to a one lug nut. In fact, it should be easier. So I, I don't know if it has something to do with them not being able to get that perfectly centered on there, uh, or 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 why we're having these issues. But I, I mean, you see other. Other series um, have been using single lug nuts for years, and the, the pit stops are absolutely flawless. I mean, occasionally, you see uh, you know, occasionally you'll see something like, like uh, the thing with uh, with Graham Rahal at Indy yeah. last year. Occasionally, you see something like that, but but we're seeing it quite often. And I guess it's just a learning curve for these guys, and and the whole you know the, the size of the tire is different than it was, and, and these guys have been pretty much using the same thing, the same equipment for years. So they've got uh, you know, a lot of muscle memory built up. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, just see, it seemed like they're not getting it seated on there. Right. Before they attempt to tighten uh, the lug nut there. So, yeah, yeah for sure. It's just, but going, it's just one of those things that has got to be worked. It's one of the major things that need to be worked on the most. If there's anything that can be done about it, because it's been made clear. Something like that happened, you're going home. Other divisions, at most, for my understanding, are monetary fines, automatic. Yeah, but at the end of the day, to your point, I, I don't think that, you know, suspending a guy for a couple of races is the answer. You know, I think maybe taking a look at the, the, the tire and the, and the way it goes on to the hub and everything is because we had this as early as Daytona, we had things where the Penske team, as well as the, um, the, the Roush Keselowski team had made some modifications to the wheel rims. So to, man, they ended up getting in a little hot water with NASCAR there, but, but I think NASCAR needs to take a look at that uh, rather than just suspending crew chiefs, you know, because they, they need to see if there's a real, what's the real root problem. You know what I mean? It's that crew chief is not there putting the tire on, right? He's, uh, you know, so what, what's, why is he the guy that's uh, culpable for? Yes, because he's the head, the, the leader of the, of the ones calling the stops. Sure. Sure. But you know, at the, at the, they have pick crew coaches, if anything, pick crew coaches to be admonished for it. Because they're the ones leading the, the crew members. They're doing the training and all the piss stops during in the garage at the shop. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But I guess I want to take it to the upper to the upper man so but it's just it's a weird rule, but I know they have like pit stop coaches and stuff, people that kind of get them into gear. But I think they want to suspend like, like it's kind of like they're the head coach, the driver's the QB in this scenario. Right. Yeah. And so I understand, is, I understand the needs you want to hold somebody responsible. But, but I really, I really, would like divisions, to, I really would like just to monetary see them. fines. Yeah, but I, I would really like to see them take a look at the root cause of what is, what are they doing wrong? You know what I mean? Yeah, because so, yeah, that we're I don't I think we're going to see a lot more if it happens as that could affect everyone. But it's not as bad as the RFK, the RF, the six team at, at the moment where there was they're still outside the top thirty, well outside the top thirty still. And they're going to appeal the ruling, and they'll hear something back within the with sooner or later. Yeah. So now the RFK thing was for using unapproved an unapproved vendor or unapproved parts. Yeah. Um, specifically, do you know specifically what parts were in question? Not a hundred percent sure. Okay, I just wondered. You know, Richard might know that, but he, he neglected to join us tonight. So, but anyway, so uh, we, <laughs> but yeah, going back to check before we go, going back to the racing action on the track. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, another thing that was, and I could understand to some extent because it's a bigger road course. I think Proto is now the largest track in terms of length and miles than Daytona, than Talladega. But there were so many incidents that were not acknowledged. Like it shouldn't take three days to find out what happened to Kyle Busch on the last stop where he got spun, where he had two incidents on the last time from going from a top five to 30th. I know like when they announced this next gen car last May, like all the details said, like all cars will have an onboard of some sort. Sure. They may not be for TV, that people can look up and research their data. But it's getting to the point that makes me wonder when and how, what's the budget to have 40 cars have on board so we know what happens to the point where you get to F1 levels. I know you're talking about double the what F1 get, puts on onboard wise, but like, I don't know how many camera people they have, but it looks like it's still not enough. Or our TV time must have hurt them completely to we not know what happened to Kyle Bush. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, like you said. So now let me uh, ask you this question: Is uh, is isn't Cup running at Road America this year? Yes, that would be the longest track. Oh, 
There's just, my just said, you just said, you know, yeah, Soto, there's Soto's, my, there's, Soto's longer yeah, than Tal Negan. There's my, there, yeah, yeah, there's my first derp moment of the season. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I know. Thanks for reminding <laughs> me about Road America. Oh, but, yeah. uh, again, Road America, one of the one of the greatest uh, race courses in in North America. I uh, can't wait for that weekend. The longest, oh. stri- okay, the longest strike we've run so far this year. There, there you go. There you go. That works. <laughs> there, <laughs> fair, fair enough. There to save it, but no, yeah. But I think from I don't know if it's a Fox thing or NBC or a NASCAR production, but whatever it is, this it's like. This has been a common problem all year with Fox, like with Spencer. This is more of a Spencer Boyd. This is more of a NASCAR thing than if anything else. Where Spencer Boyd was literally stationary, this damaged truck injured and all for two laps that they did not notice or acknowledge or even wait a yellow for. It seems like they missed it completely to where like a day or a night or two later, the onboards became available. To where we saw Spencer Boyd laying there for like two laps. Imagine if Somebody got turned on the backstretch again because that was a hotbed at the backstretch of Vegas a couple weeks ago. That could have been a horrible look for the incidents. Yeah, you're not going to get all of them, but man, those fans that are in the stands were able to catch a lot more than Fox were able to acknowledge. It's just, you can't, it's just, I understand, but you got to, they got to figure something out because this is getting ridiculous with, with the production and the broadcasting side of things that they missed too much. And it's like F1 could pick up stuff no matter where they added a track, essentially. I don't get how NASCAR you miss that many. I don't. Uh, yeah, somebody uh, somebody I know quite well was uh, making the same refrain comparing the Formula One coverage to uh, IndyCar coverage saying the same thing. It said, you know, Formula One hardly misses anything. Uh, you know, and, and IndyCar, even with even with their side-by-side, you know, they're they're sometimes focused on maybe the wrong battle on the track or they're, you know, so I, I mean, it is, it is what it is. I mean, I just, you know, it's, and, and, and as race fans and the, who are really kind of tuned into the racing, I don't think we'll ever be satisfied with television coverage, you know, because it's, it's as long as I've been around, people have, you know, found reasons to complain about the television coverage. You know, uh, we have had a, uh, Oh, guess guess who entered the waiting the waiting room? Uh, but no, it's just they gotta get it to get they gotta get it together with the with the broadcasting. So I know Formula One has a massive budget, but I mean, how did NASCAR twenty five years ago were able to capture that much with so little resources, and then compared to today where there's more resources in production? It's just I don't the, know. I, uh, so did NASCAR catch everything twenty five years ago? Or, no, or, 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 or we were able or, to understand or, 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 or did you just never figure it out? Because now we're, you know, we're finding out things two, three days later, right? But maybe you just never found out back <laughs> back in the day. So you get my, anyway, yeah, you we were can, able to see we, stuff more with these, even on, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, like, know, yeah, we, we can always, we can do a whole show about our complaints about television coverage and, and probably go into overtime. Uh, but yeah, so let's, but let's move on and talk about something else. So, uh, uh, so Richard has joined us, Richard, how hello. are you tonight? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry you're for the, the, uh, technical delay there. Okay. Well, yeah, you're, you're a little late to the party, but, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we've still got another 18, 20 minutes left. Uh, we've, uh, we we've, all, we've already gone over formula one, but because, uh, oh, boy. you're, you're, uh, our Formula One analyst and expert. I will, 
allow you a few moments just to give your uh, your thoughts on this uh, the race at Jeddah. Um, I thought it was a fantastic race. Again, if it, you know, looking you know, looking at the first two races we've seen this year from uh, from Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, they've been fantastic races. Um, you know, Mick Schumacher, very lucky boy there in qualifying. That was a big hit, and uh, good to see him. Relatively speaking, walk away from that unscathed. Um, I, I don't. I don't think this is a track that's suitable for Formula One with the speeds that these cars can do. Um, I think we're uh, we're pushing the edge really of what they're capable of from a safety perspective, as this accident showed, and a number of accidents that we had during the race uh, late last year. I do believe that if we stay in Saudi Arabia and race there again in the future, and that's a a topic for another show completely. Um, the permanent circuit in Saudi Arabia is scheduled to be open for 2023. So this may be the last season we, we actually race in Jeddah, uh, which I don't think would be a bad thing because it's, it's as I said, I don't think it's a circuit that's suitable for Formula One. Um, and also, please, this is something that really got my goat. This is not a street circuit. This is a road course with walls really close to the edges. A street circuit is Monaco or Baku or Singapore with where you drive through somebody's front yard. You know, this is this is not a, a, a street circuit. This is a this is like Valencia. It's a you know, there's no roads here. There's no public roads. Um, but uh, you know, congratulations to Max. Uh, you know, I thought it was a great drive by him, and you know, to to recover from the disappointment that they had in Bahrain. Uh, you know, the previous week. Um, you know, and a great battle, clean battle with with Charles Leclerc there in the Ferrari. Um, you know, a fantastic drive by both of them. Unlucky for Sergio Perez when the safety car came out, just didn't quite fall into place for him. But, uh, you know, he, if, he, if he can put in qualifying laps like he did, which is probably the lap of his career in many, many ways, he'll be okay. He'll, he'll get it done in the future. Um, but, yeah, all in all, you know, if you look at the first two races as a package, you know, I think the new cars delivered what they wanted to deliver in terms of close racing. I thought, like, the battles between the two Alpines uh, in the first dozen or so laps were fantastic and yeah long may it continue it's going to be an exciting season yes it is yeah like i had uh echoed the sentiment earlier on the show before you joined us that all those folks that are that, that have stopped watching formula one because they say it's boring and follow the leader and, and nothing happens it's, it's time for you to turn your tv back on uh well, it was time and, for them to turn the tv on a few years ago well yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah but i mean i mean 2020 and, yeah we uh, had amazing battles yeah, yeah we, everything yeah, happened the last the last two and a half seasons you know you know including this one have been fantastic so all right so we um covered formula one covered uh coda with yeah, nascar talk- and and we wanted to we talked about uh vegas uh, potentially on the Formula One calendar, Richard. It looks uh, like there's a, an announcement coming out in the next day or two, maybe tonight. I thought uh, it was tonight. Un, un- I thought it was going to be tonight, yeah. Um, so. 2.30 uh, standard uh, GMT, which is going to be probably any time now, actually. Yeah, 4.30 um, Pacific, 7.30 Eastern. I've seen nothing other than a tweet from, I guess, the governor, the mayor, or governor of Nevada and the mayor of Vegas, wherever it was. I have to double check. Yeah, so we'll just wait. We'll talk more about that uh, next week. So uh, we did have uh, IndyCars had their first test of the uh, 2.4 liter engine, uh, the biofuel 2.4 liter engine. And they, they only got a 
really a handful of laps in uh, on the day one of testing because the temperatures were just uh, unseasonably cold. The temperatures were in the 30s and the low 40s, uh, but uh, had no major issues with the things. And this is running without the um, uh, energy uh, regeneration system. Uh, it's not the full hybrid yet. This is just the, the basic uh, uh, 2.4 liter uh, larger displacement engine uh so, but, uh, I, you know, the only thing to report there is that, uh, you know, very little, <laughs> very little track time. And uh, apparently Chevy logged in over 600 miles total in three days because it was a three day thing as I'm looking it up right now. I thought they canceled the second two days or unless they, unless they picked them up later. So I, I who, who really knows, but yeah, I did saw a glimpse of it here. Here it looked at the car and all of that, but if it seems like they have no issues so far, that's pretty encouraging. But obviously, I'd imagine some people are asking, okay, nice new engine supply, third OEM win. Because I'd imagine those people are gonna be asking that. Yeah, because if we're already testing the basic block for the 2024 engine, you think if they, they have another OEM, they'll they're already behind the development curve. So, yeah. So we need to get uh, if we're going to have a third uh, engine manufacturer in there, they, they they need to announce it very soon. So. But, yeah, I mean, so it's, you know, not a lot to report. No lap times were, you know, given out, but that we had a new garden running the Chevy and Dixon running the Honda. Uh, but uh, the thing is, no, uh, no engine break breakdowns or anything like that. No technical or mechanical difficulties, which is a, which is an encouraging sign. So. Now, Louise, you wanted to have a discussion about what they call B2B or business-to-business sponsorships. Yeah. Evidently, there's a uh, there's a little bit of an argument on Twitter going on with uh, the, the use of B2B sponsorships in racing. Yeah, apparently that's become like another hot water topic because I think it's stirred up to the fact that Scott McLaughlin is going to run his third livery and sponsorship in as many races this next weekend at Lobbish with Snap-on, which is a nice-looking livery of mine here. Because he started the year with the Shell V-Power, then he drove the Expel at Texas. I think it boils down to identity. Like, back in... Uh, I, I, I talk about identity. Like, well, how people are going to support a driver if they keep switching liveries, like what kind of merch can they buy? If they keep switching all of that, all the stuff, it's like, right. And this is, it's not, this, the yeah, go on. Th- yeah. This is a common problem in the current state of racing right now. And you see it in NASCAR as well. You got guys with rotating liveries, you know, there's very few cars on the track um, in any American series that have the same sponsor from race one all the way to the end of the season. Yeah, there's a few. Okay. And then the point of the, the, we talk about the B2B sponsors, right? Business to business deals, right? Well, that's essentially, uh, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right. So, uh, you know, snap on tools, put our name on the car. Penske will buy snap on tools for all their trucks. You know what I mean? Well, you saw the same thing with, uh, say, uh, Fitzgerald glider kits. Remember that? Yep, I remember. So Fitzgerald well. glider kits—they make, you know, trucks. Um, you know, OTR trucks. Uh, they, they make the the basic chassis and frame for that. So, 
uh, is obviously they're not marketing to the consumer because, you know, who's sitting watching the race? Say, hey, man, you know, New Garden won in that Fitzgerald. I'm going to go buy me a <laughs> Fitzgerald truck. No, yeah, you don't know, but, eh? but Penske also has Penske leasing, right? So, and, and guess what kind of trucks are being used in Penske leasing Fitzgerald glider kits, right? So that's a business to business deal. And then the other ones are, uh, when you talk about like arrow, right? Arrow is not necessarily marketing to the consumer. Okay. Arrow sells very small electronic components to larger companies that build larger components. They like to use IndyCar racing as a platform to showcase their technology. So, so when you, um, if you want to do business with Arrow, say you're, you know, say you're a Microsoft or somebody like that, or, or Dell, you know, somebody that needs to buy all these small parts to make your electronics. Um, and, and Arrow is seeking your business. They may take your executives to an IndyCar race to uh, entertain clients and showcase the technology. That was the same thing. And if you recall, ABC Supply uh, that was associated with the AJ Foyt team for years. Yep. ABC Supply. still be around for the 500. Right. ABC Supply does not necessarily, they're not necessarily marketing directly to the consumer either. ABC Supply sells largely, largely, to contractors, you know, and, and they make, you know, materials to build houses and buildings is, is what ABC does right now. You can go to a ABC store, but their, their biggest clients are um, contractors and construction businesses. And again, they use the platform of indie racing to entertain clients. I mean, if you, anytime you go to the 500, you'll see the, the group of everybody in their ABC Clothes being brought around by, by the tour guide. And those are all potential clients of ABC. So that's how the business to business. Yeah. Uh, we see that works. all the time. In the we see that all the time. And the reason we see that is because the advent of uh, internet advertising has made it um, much cheaper to advertise on the internet than to slap your logo on a race car. You know, I, I mean, it, it used to be that, um, one of the big um, selling points of racing sponsorship is that racing fans are sponsored loyal, which is true to a large extent, particularly if you recall 30 year, 20, 30 years ago, uh, they used to call the Bush grand national series, the grocery store series, because literally every sponsor was something you could find in a grocery store. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they, you had your Albertsons they, and yeah, all that you, stuff. You, Kroger's car and you know, and King. Well, you have also products within products. You could buy at any retail store like Aaron's Kroger. Right. Yeah. So you have, I mean, I mean Kingsford. The, I, I know you said Kroger Kingsford toys. R Us was around. You had all these. Are, yeah. Right. So, and so these were used to sell products. Right. And, but you, there's fewer and fewer, actual consumer product sponsoring racing now because the return yeah, on M&M's is going to leave at the end of the year. M&M's is leaving. Right. And, and you know, who else have we lost over the years, right? Lowe's. Oh, we lost Lowe's. Lowe's, UPS, Kodak. Uh, you know, those are all, um, you know, basically middle or light at this point, Budweiser. Well, Miller light is all gone except for the one with Keystone, the one days. Keystone car, that's one race, which is the Coke 600. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and then 
So then you get these uh, other companies that are just finding other ways to market. Um, or for, for a while, IndyCar's case, vaping with views. Well, vaping, yeah, and, and vaping with in Formula One as well. But yeah. then for a while, there was um, pharmaceutical companies were big. Uh, you know, if you, if you think about the uh, Mark Martin with the Viagra car. Yeah, right? CNC. Charlie Kimball with the Novo Nordisk. Uh, and again, they're not necessarily marketing to the consumer. But if, if they want doctors to prescribe their product, take a group of doctors to the race. You know, like, there's very few consumer products left out there. Yeah, it, it is, it's <laughs> unfortunate, but it's, it's that's the thing. If other companies that may not be accessible, we're like, oh, let me go get this. Are interested in a sport? That's just how the model is now. Exactly. Is, yeah, and, and it's a, it, it is what it is. I can't say unfortunately <coughs> because it brings some eyeballs to who, like you said, to different people that may be for, interested. Like James Hardy was sponsored a car Noah Gregson, a JR Motorsport. I used to saw James Hardy was a chicken company because that used to be a Bathurst One Thousand title sponsor. Then I realized it's just construction products. Like I think for drywalls and all of that, right? It doesn't. It, it's more catering to those who are in construction, not like your common um, common Americana is like, oh, I'm gonna go buy James Hardy just for the sake of buying James. No, no, it's gonna be for proper usage. Yes, I so, thought James Harden was a basketball player. James Harden. I'm talking about James Hardy. Okay, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> but anyway, but back to the question about the rotating liveries, right? The yeah. thing that, that people need to understand, yes, it's frustrating to not know what what car your favorite driver is in. You know, there was a time where we knew Al Unser Jr. was in the Valvoline car. Michael was in the Kmart car, you know. Yeah, you had Haviland, Marlboro. Yeah, yeah. Rick, Mears, Rick Mears was in the, the Marlboro car, yeah. Um, you know. Craco. Yeah, but that those days are gone. And if you want to do a full season of racing, you know, to ask a sponsor – I need you to pony up for me to do 16 races, you know, in the case of IndyCar or a dedicated or driver, 38, 38 races <laughs> in, the, in the case of NASCAR. It's a hard sell, right? But if you can find five or six different companies that want to buy a couple races a piece and that that budgets you, that's the way to go. Yeah. I mean, look at, Team Penske, which should be able to line up with their success, somebody to sponsor all their cars and have the same livery every race. They don't have that. The closest the, thing is Will Logano. Power. Will Power. And Will Power, yeah. And Logano. And even Logano, even the, the Pennzoil is not for all the races. No, I think there's four or five races where he's running a different livery. I yeah, think Auto Advanced, Club. Advanced and... Auto Parts and, yeah, and, and Auto Club. Uh, but like even New Garden, yeah, Auto, yeah, New Garden's never had a full season. You know, he's he probably has the bulk of his races are with Hitachi, mm -hmm. you know. But I, it's funny. I because, mean, like Texas, and, he and broke that, the PPG card that I more associate with Scott McLaughlin. I know, right? Because I was looking for pictures of Scott McLaughlin, and I downloaded like five pictures. I was going through your picture file to do the McLaughlin art, and I downloaded like five pictures of uh of New Garden until yeah, I realized, the, oh, they, oh, that's. Uh, that's that's the opposite of this. They're the opposite this year for the XFL 375. Right, right. And then even, you know, Simon had the uh, Menards for the bulk of the season. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, he uh, he also had the um, the, the other car, the uh, XC. 
the gold, super bright gold car. Had the super Pete. bright gold car, but he had the, the black and white car. With, what was the XC? But yeah, so, uh, you know, in order to put a season together. DXC yeah, Technologies. DXC, that's, that's what it was, yeah. But that's, I mean, that's just the way it is. And it would be nice if they could maybe coordinate deliveries so you there was something identifiable about the driver but then again you know when it's going to be how is that car going to look it's going to be up to the guy who's shelling out the money to put their logo on there you know what i mean mm-hmm. so and, and for at least for Penske, we know whose name is on the car because they put it on the arrow on the arrows above the arrow screen right right not yeah. mandatory but it's a nice subtle touch yeah, it's not mandatory, but yeah, at least you know who's who. But they, I mean, there there are a couple cars that have you know consistent liveries. That Rossi, they they went ahead and because they used to sometimes drive the, uh, you know, Napa sometimes drive the uh, Auto Auto Trader or not Auto Trader the, uh, the the pink livery Auto Nation Auto Nation. That's what it is. But now they've combined the two liveries into one uh, to create a hideously ugly car. But it's it's going to be the same hideously ugly car. Um, every race. Yeah, um, like PNC Bank with Dixon, Johnson with Carvana. There's a couple of them. A couple, yeah. Will, yeah will, again, Will Power. Or um, Dalton Kellett <laughs> with K-Line. <clears throat> Dalton Kellett with his dad's company, yep. Um, there's like, there's... Yeah, I think, the, car, I think the Carpenter several. cars, the Carpenter cars have had pretty consistent liveries. They've all got full uh, full range sponsors, so, yeah. Yeah, and if anything, it's just the, uh, the five during yeah, the month the, of May that changes... Right, but but there are you know like like Ray Hall, the Ray Hall cars have always had uh, rotating liveries, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Palou's got rotating livery, uh, but yeah, I mean, but again, like, that's how you that's how you fund the season. There's no easy answer to it. Do I like it? Not necessarily. Yeah, I do like the fact that I, if I could say, you know, Al's in the Valvoline car, Michael's in the Kmart car, but I also like seeing a car fully funded for the season, no matter what it takes. For sure, you know, and because look no further with Alex Pillow in 2020 when he drove for Cohen, he basically ran unsponsored the whole year except for, oh, I can't, I always forget that one sponsorship that came along for the 500. I keep forgetting the darn name, but, but, but for the most part, it ran unsponsored nearly the whole year, and he still was able to put some good results out of it. But yeah, you want to see all cars with liveries on it with sponsorship. Because it does affect them if they run out of pocket and they don't, and even if they run well, they, who knows if they'll get anything out of it. Yeah. And I also, I also understand it's, you know, disappointing the fans. I remember going to Martinsville a couple of years ago because I, I, you know, I, I'm a Keselowski fan and I was, you know, I'm a big fan of the, the, the white Miller light car. But when we got to Martinsville, he was running, you know, a, a discount tire or something else. So his car was like yellow and red and I was like trying to pick him out and I'm like, Ugh, you know, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, it is what it is. We can, we can get into little feuds on Twitter. Um, we can say, and I've heard people say crap, like IndyCar should mandate, you know, I know this one crazy guy that always says that Indy, IndyCar should mandate team liveries, just like Formula One. So all the team cars look alike. I said, okay, so you're going to, you know what you're going to never gonna, been the case ever. It's never been the case. Yeah. In IndyCar or in NAS or in American racing in general, uh, you know, but, but that this guy wants to turn IndyCar into formula one anyway, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't mandate a team liver. You can't tie the team's hands when it comes to, 
attracting somebody to finance the team. You know, and you've got to defer to the guy. Says, I will give you the money, but paint that car my color. You know, I, our, our, our logo is green and I want that car to be green. And then, uh, you know, Bob Rael says, yes, sir. Here is your green car um, that you'll see at Gateway. <laughs> so, which, by the way, that sponsor, iPacket, that is an actual consumer product. Uh, what they do, what they do is very similar to like Carfax. They uh, they they track automobile history for uh, potential buyers of used cars, and they are brand new to the series. Uh, the car looks stunning. It's it's done up in like a hunter green combined with the bright green, and uh, I hope that they get their bang for their buck at Gateway. I, I really do. Um, and interestingly enough, you know. Uh, the Gateway, the race is sponsored by Bomberito, which is uh, one of the biggest car dealers uh, in that area. So, you know, I, I wonder if there's a little bit of a partnership between Bomberito and iPacket, um, because those are two companies that could certainly work well together. But anytime a new company is coming into IndyCar, even if it's just for one race to test the waters, I think it's good for the sport. Indeed. I say so at the end of the day. It's just got to have to fly whatever it takes to get it back because where we get back to the glory days of sponsorship where we can easily identify, I don't know at this rate. It's I hard doubt to it. tell. I, I think those days have come and gone. Yeah, just so. like one album is called Days Are Gone. It's literally Days Are Gone. And it's days just got to have gone. that. Uh, but it's just, at the end of the day, it's, it's just a new practice. I, I get it, but when you have many companies leaving after all these, when they change general managers or CEOs, they're not interested or and all that. That's just how business works. I know business major, but at least I have an idea. I get why stuff like this happens. Yeah, it's all about return on investment. You know what I mean? Like when target gets a new CEO and they say, well, how many people shop at target simply because we funnel all this money to chip Ganassi. And, and when it turns out, not as many as you think, then we no longer see target cars on the track. So with that being said, uh, where are we racing this weekend? Formula One's off. Um, IndyCar's off. IndyCar's NASCAR off. Going to Richmond. Going to Richmond. Okay. So well, you like Alex Bowman for Richmond? Because I do. I'm going William Byron. William I go Byron. With, I go with Truex, but I'm still mixed with Toyota right now. Yeah, Toyota seemed to be struggling a bit. They could they could certainly use a win to uh, kind of boost the morale in their forces. Yeah, Truex well, has done very quietly well. But, quiet, quietly well, yeah, which is... But quietly well ain't enough. So, <coughs> I mean, we see Truex done quietly well, make it to the championship for us all. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we are up against uh, the clock here. We're out of time. I want to thank Dan Blay Racing Art. Find them on Facebook, Dan Blay Racing Art. Get your uh, custom die cast made by either Dan himself or his son, Michael, who both do a fantastic job. Also visit firstsuperspeedway.com, treasure trove of early racing information, and a link to buy the book, The Legend of the First Super Speedway by Mark Dill, who's a great friend of the show. I want to thank both those guys for supporting our show. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Spreaker, and Google Podcasts. I want to thank you, Richard, for coming on just for a minute till your phone died. Uh, I know you're busy and working on stuff, but, uh, you know, thank you for a little bit of time. Louise, I want to thank you for hanging out with me tonight. 
And I want to thank you folks that listen to us every week. But until next week, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 